0: Welcome to the Common Cause for Sustainability podcast miniseries, Sustainable Living, for University of Washington, Bothell and Cascadia College. My name is Emily.
1: And my name is Noah.
0: And we will be your hosts today.
1: Today we will be talking about household waste reduction and supporting sustainable brands. And as a part of supporting sustainable brands, we have an interview with Jacob Husky, the founder of Enweave. That's coming towards the end of the episode, so stay tuned
0: so first let's talk about what's in our trash something i like to do every so often is do a waste audit i basically just go through my bags of trash and recycling and identify what sorts of things i'm throwing away and kind of estimate how much so noah have you ever done a waste audit and if so like what have you found
1: yeah it's funny you bring that up actually I took a class at the UW, which was about personal sustainability choices, and one of the assignments for that class was we actually had to carry around all the waste, like garbage and recycling, we produced for a week straight, and then we'd have to break it down and audit it and see what what is what in our waste. So I actually have been able to take kind of a unique look at uh, my waste, and... Most of it is food packaging, which is pretty interesting, but makes sense when you consider it. It's pretty hard to find food in grocery stores that isn't wrapped in plastic, so.
0: Yeah, I would say the same thing. I mean, it is possible to buy food unpackaged, but usually the stuff that's more convenient and easy to prepare comes in packaging. I tend to buy a lot of that stuff, and that's definitely the majority of my trash and recycling.
1: Yeah, and besides that, other huge categories was cleaning supplies, packaging for other consumer items besides food, stuff like that.
0: How would we quantify how much we throw away if you were to like estimate in maybe like pounds per week? It, it, it's hard to think about, but...
1: I know I can think, I think it's easier to think about in terms of like garbage bags, like full garbage bags of stuff you're throwing away. My roommate and I tend to go through about two of those a week. I don't know if that's more than average or less than average. I'd like to think it was less than average, but it's hard to know. So I'd say I go through about two bags with my roommate of trash a week.
0: I take out my trash like once a month. Or like every four weeks. And it, that's how often it fills up. But the thing that takes up the most space would definitely be my recycling. Yeah, I have to take that out at least every week. But as far as like trash, it's mostly like thin plastics. So I can easily compact those and they're very lightweight. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, but I'm pretty much the same way with recycling. I, I'd say I go through about like one baggish size of recycling a week.
0: Yeah. So have we found ways to like reduce the amount we throw away?
1: There's a lot of things you can do in the food packaging department to reduce your waste. Like an example would be if you drink single-use plastic water bottles, getting a reusable water bottle, trying to look for alternatives or different uh, consumer product choices that either use less packaging or no packaging. Those are some ways I've used in the past, but like I said, it's pretty difficult to eliminate the majority of waste from that department for me.
0: Yeah, in a typical grocery store, uh, definitely the produce section is package-free and you can even bring your own produce bags, like reusable produce bags, so you don't have to use the plastic ones. A lot of grocery stores also have bulk sections I would recommend taking advantage of those and seeing what they have, that you can buy a package tree. Even if you do buy things in packaging, maybe looking to see if you can buy something in like paper instead of plastic.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think a big problem is there's just so many food items where there's no alternative. Like for instance, if you want to buy like a sandwich meat, they almost always come in the same like plastic containers
0: Or, you know, you can maybe just try making your own stuff instead of buying, like, packaged salads or canned soups. Just make it yourself.
1: Yeah, I I think you bring up a good point. Like, the more convenient a food item is, typically the more packaged it will be. But, yeah, I agree with you.
0: Is there any kind of food you've seen before that, like, the packaging is so excess that it's just almost ridiculous?
1: It's funny you bring that up. Because the other day I was in 7-Eleven and I was in their candy section and I was looking at this candy. It has a normal like plastic candy bag and inside the bag was like 10 to 15 individual plastic spoons with a rubber band around them and a plastic film wrapping just one little tiny piece of like caramel or something. No bigger than the size of your thumbnail. It was like 10 plastic spoons in a bag just for
0: 10 different little caramel candies. So yeah, that's another tip. If you can buy like just one big container rather than a lot of small containers of something, Costco is great for that.
1: Yes, but it brings up another problem because with Costco, they sell it in such huge quantities. You don't ever want any of it to go bad.
0: Yeah, when you're buying stuff, Make sure you can actually consume it all before it goes bad, or else we will just be left with another problem, which is food waste. Which
1: we'll be getting into in our episode six, so stay tuned for
0: that. So what about recycling? What are some important things to keep in mind to make sure that our recycling actually gets recycled?
1: I think one of the most important things that people often forget about or choose not to do is that you have to make sure your recyclables are clean. We're at a point now where if the recyclable isn't clean, I believe they just throw it out.
0: Yeah, because they just can't recycle it. And then there's some things that you just can't clean, like pizza boxes that have grease on them. But I think you can actually compost those.
1: Yeah, it's important to keep that in mind. Because it's one of those things, like, you can feel good about recycling something, but if you're not doing it the proper way, it's going to be completely worthless, and you might as well have just thrown it away.
0: Why don't a lot of recyclable materials get recycled?
1: I think uh, access can be an issue. I think primarily in public, it's hard to find a recycle bin sometime or maybe the right recycle bin, because I know there's a lot that are only take cans or only take bottles. Another thing is it's um, an equity issue. It costs money to get your recycling picked up more than it does to get your trash picked up or just another fee on top of that. So some people might choose just to forgo recycling altogether and just throw it all away because it's cheaper.
0: So what do we do if we don't know if an item is recyclable?
1: Most of the time you'll be able to see the little recycling logo and know it's okay to recycle. So if it's something that I'm pretty sure I can recycle, but it doesn't have that little logo on it, I just recycle it anyways. What do do you do?
0: I guess I do the same thing. I know there's different kinds of plastics and I don't know if some of them can or can't be recycled. I'll just put it in the recycling for other things. Because for packaging, when you get something in the mail, those padded envelopes, like mixed material things, that's where I get confused.
1: Right. I think a lot of people share that same sentiment. It really is hard to know sometimes. And another thing is, it's hard to know even what happens to our recyclables and where they go.
0: We found that in Seattle, 28% of Seattle's recyclables get recycled in Seattle, and then 38% get recycled in the Northwest and in North America, and then the other 34% get recycled in Asia.
1: Yeah, it's actually really interesting because China used to dominate the world's plastic recycling industry. But just a few years ago, I can't remember exactly when, they basically just shut down the global supply chain of plastic recycling.
0: Yeah, so the recycling facilities in the U.S. can't process all of our recycling. So does it actually get recycled?
1: Well, it's interesting because it basically went down to each city had to find their own new recycling markets. So Seattle is actually good about it. They they found, and I'm pretty sure are fully operational in a plastic recycling market, But for a while there, there were some cities like Portland that were just saying, don't recycle plastics for the next year.
0: See, this is why it's important to try to avoid
1: plastics in the first place. Especially single-use plastic. I think the number one is plastic straws. And our city in particular, I believe, actually banned plastic straws.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure businesses aren't allowed to distribute plastic straws, they have to use the compostable ones. Speaking of disposable things you get with your food to go containers, which have become a lot more common in this time, takeout is pretty much the only option.
1: Yeah, that that whole to go single use items, you can even see it in the UW dining facilities. However, those are compostable plastics.
0: Yeah, so that's a good thing that is happening at UW. It it would be great if we could see that all over Seattle and all over the country one
1: day. <laughs> yeah, you have to ask yourself, though, about compostable single-use items. Are they even any better? Because they still cater to a throwaway society, and sometimes they don't even get sorted correctly and still end up in landfills. When I was in the dining halls at UW, before everything was takeout, they would give you the option of like actual forks, actual bowls, actual plates, which is I think the best thing before you use compostables. But if you had to pick between compostable utensils and plastic utensils, I think like you were saying, the choice is pretty obvious.
0: I think even there's a new pilot program where they're testing out reusable takeout where you just check out a container and then bring it back later. And I think like some other colleges have done this and it's been pretty successful.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's what I would do anyways. I would just take the bowl up to my dorm room and bring it back, which you're technically not allowed to do, but it's the most sustainable way, and it's not really hurting anyone. Of course, I wouldn't recommend anybody do that without permission.
0: One thing we see all the time is plastic water bottles. Yes. Do you ever drink bottled water? If so, why?
1: Nowadays, I only drink it when... I'm out and about somewhere and I just need some water and I don't have a reusable water bottle with me. And even then I'll try and reuse the plastic water bottle if I can. But since Seattle's water is so good, I typically just stick with tap water in a reusable water bottle. What about you?
0: Yeah, same. I don't really buy bottled water. Uh, not only because of the plastic bottle, but because it's so overpriced when you actually think of what bottled water costs in comparison to tap water. So, yeah. Also, when I was at school, everyone was at school, I I would just look for like the, the water fountains and the water bottle refill stations. I really like how those are placed all around campus.
1: Those are amazing. And... It was crazy that they would somehow know with different water bottle sizes exactly when it's done filling up. I always liked the little counter at the top of those two. That was like, this many water bottles have been saved. And if you're concerned about just drinking tap water, there are remedies such as a Brita filter, which will filter your water. A lot of people even claim it makes the water taste better. That is a pretty sustainable method you just have to change out a filter once every three months or so. So that's something to consider. So Emily, how often do you, as a form of waste mitigation, try to reuse your items?
0: I reuse things if it's reusable. So I have glass jars that I have repurposed into glasses for drinking. Also, I just buy the reusable alternative to a disposable item. So the basics would be water bottles, shopping bags, jars and utensils, coffee cups.
1: Yeah, I'm similar. I, I try to reuse tin cans for little plants or glass cups for drinking. And I do always try and find reusable alternatives to single-use items.
0: Yeah, Anything that's disposable probably has a reusable alternative because a reusable item existed before the disposable thing was invented. Disposable items were mostly just created for our own convenience.
1: I think with all these reusable alternatives, it's such a benefit because you have less clutter and so much less waste. And while it's true, some of these might have a bigger upfront cost. A lot of them will pay off eventually because you won't have to be constantly throwing stuff away and buying new versions of it.
0: Yeah, that's true. You won't have to keep repurchasing things.
1: Better for your wallet and the environment. Yeah, and on top of that, a lot of the stuff you might consider waste might even have its own reusing purposes. For instance, my roommate, he does a lot of shipping on eBay and he uses plastic shopping bags as package filler.
0: Yeah, that's a good tip. If you order things that comes in a box or something, just save the box for like the next time you have to ship something out. Using packing material is a really great thing to do.
1: So, Emily, I think a big part of reducing waste is knowing which brands are sustainable. How do you know if a brand is sustainable?
0: I shop shop a lot on online marketplaces that vet the brand and the product to make sure that it actually is sustainable so that I don't actually have to do that work myself. <laughs> so that's kind of how I find sustainable brands. But you also have to be careful of greenwashing when a brand will try to make it seem like its product is eco-friendly, even though it may not be. And a lot of the times they'll do this in the design of their packaging. What are your thoughts on greenwashing? How do you try to avoid it?
1: I kind of agree with you. I I listen to what other people say about products, people with more authority on, or maybe even just more perceived authority on the items. But even with that, it's hard to truly know. I think it all all goes to greenwashing and how companies manipulate consumers into thinking their products
0: are environmentally friendly. People want to make sustainable choices and they want us to buy eco-friendly things, but it's a problem when they're being tricked into buying things that are actually not sustainable. So where are some places that we can find sustainable brands and actually be confident that we're not being lied to?
1: Like you mentioned, online marketplaces are a great place to start. As we'll be getting into later, an example that is Enweave.
0: Um, There's also like Earth Hero, which is another online marketplace for sustainable brands. And then locally in Seattle, we have a store called Eco Collective. You can actually go in and shop if you like. And I'm pretty sure they ship everywhere in the US. Another recommendation I would give is maybe looking at your local co-op. I noticed that most co-ops have pretty eco-friendly products.
1: So what are some other ways you can reduce your waste besides what we've talked
0: about? One thing you can do is buying like cleaning products or, or toiletries in solid form, such as like shampoo bars, toothpaste tabs or soaps, because the water that is in the formula of the conventional products that comes in like a bottle or something, it just adds unnecessary weight and volume to that item and then Like when it's being transported to the store, that just increases the amount of carbon emissions because you're transporting more mass. It also reduces packaging because you can buy bar soaps like package free.
1: Yeah, another way to reduce waste I can think of is renting or even just sharing items. This is especially helpful for more expensive items that you may only end up using a few times. An example of this really close to my mom's house in Tacoma is a tool library where any member of the community can go there and check out tools either for free or for a low cost. And it's a really great way to, to give people access to higher powered tools they may need that they might not have access to financially.
0: Another thing you can do is actually rent furniture. Um, I only found out about this since I started living in Seattle. So basically, if you know like, you're going to live in an apartment for a year or just several months, you can actually rent a, a, like a set of furniture to keep for that time period where you like just pay for it monthly. It might even save you money because you don't have to buy new furniture every time you move to a new place.
1: Seems like something we could all make use of.
0: Well, that's all we have to say, so let's get into the interview for today.
1: If you would please introduce yourself and in your role at N-Wave for our listeners here at Sustainable Living. Yeah,
2: um, so I work, uh, or well, I founded a company called n and it is, um, I work as the executive director and the founder right now, so at least right now, we launched about a month ago, so uh, <laughs> anything that's related to the company I'm doing right now I do have a great uh set of interns as well um who are helping me out uh so right now it's kind of managing the day-to-day um you know also trying to manage the big picture stuff too um but yeah
1: great yeah and, and why did you found and we've
2: um yeah so I have um so I grew up in the midwest um uh kind of in a lower middle income family. And um, and then I moved to Seattle uh, to um, go to UW um, and study uh, environmental studies, but also environmental entrepreneurship. And I think kind of the combination of growing up um, from that background and also working um, and living in sort of the very uh, – innovative uh, entrepreneurial culture of Seattle, um, I really started to develop a lens for um, environmental solutions through uh, affordability and accessibility. Um, and so I worked for a little bit as a um, environmental consultant to the coffee shop trying to get us to zero waste uh, without it being any extra cost to the business. Um, and so I think that kind of developed my um, uh, really my vision for the future. And that uh, I think that there are uh, sorry my dog <laughs> it's in the background. Um, so uh, it kind of developed my vision for the future uh, as far as uh, we have a lot of environmental solutions that are available to us, and that's a matter of uh, kind of connecting them and finding creative ways to make them affordable for people. Um, and so I moved to Chicago, I was gonna start just sort of a environmental consultancy. Um, and then as I, I moved here like two weeks before quarantine and uh, or before like the national lockdown in March. And uh, so I had a lot of time <laughs> Uh, in my apartment uh, just thinking, and I sort of, I don't know, I just, I was thinking about ways to apply that lens of affordability, how we could make um, sustainable green products more affordable for people. Um, And, and yeah, and after doing a little bit of research, it's very clear that there's a need for it. Um, I think it's something like 90% of customers uh, want or consider uh, sustainable features when they're shopping uh, but uh, it's something like less than a quarter of them are, are willing or, or more often unable to pay extra um, for those products uh, so it seems like uh, yeah that there was kind of an opportunity there and um, and then <laughs> sort of as things developed you um, with the Black Lives Matter movement in June, um, that was sort of where I developed uh, the nonprofit model of this company and, and realizing like, not only do we want to make these things accessible for people, but also how can we actively work to um, remedy some of these injustices, environmental injustices that have occurred um, over the last several centuries. So. Um, so that's sort of where we developed the, um, the nonprofit model and investing all of um, what we've got into making environmentalism uh, more affordable and accessible for people. I see.
1: And why, why is it important that brands like Enweave make sustainable brands more affordable and more accessible to people?
2: Yeah, so I think uh, a couple of reasons. I mean, I think the first and most obvious one is, and I I think that a lot of people run into this, whether you're low income or a college student or um, whatever it may be, um, that you you want to make these green choices, but oftentimes they're just so much more expensive and um affordability you know working creatively to get the prices down to uh, make these more accessible for people really reaches a lot of people um who want to make those sustainable choices but can't um otherwise And, and i personally was one of those people and still am um you know oftentimes can't necessarily afford the extra for organic food every time that i want to or especially when we're looking at like low waste, zero waste solutions. Um, not only can they be expensive or like putting in that upfront cost for people, um, but also uh, the the changing of habits requires um, some uh, amount of privilege and having the time and the opportunity to change what you're doing. And so I think... Um, affordability and accessibility is something that everyone is looking for um when they're whether they're shopping for something whether they're trying to find a solution to a problem they're having affordability uh for you know nearly every american uh affects that decision and so i think um you know i think that if we can make green solutions affordable the um the benefit of that is that we can actually push some of these companies to do better by the planet. So if you have uh, an environmental solution um, or an environmental green product that is, you know, about the same cost or, uh, or the same cost as it's sort of conventional um, crappy <laughs> corporate solution um, that's going to push those uh, corporations to do better because they know if that there's this customer demand, they know that people want these sorts of things. It's just that they can get away with making cheap, uh, unsustainable products um, because uh, because affordability is that main factor for everyone um, or, or nearly everyone, I should say. Uh, so, I, so I think it's kind of the two points is one, sort of the justice, equity, uh, accessibility standpoint, but also that doing this could help us um, leverage uh that power and that passion that people have and you know and that's across the board it's not just seattle it's not just uh you know big cities um you know most people want to do good by the planet and so if we can make that um just as accessible for them uh you know it's really going to push corporations to do to do better so that's sort of the second um prong of our impact that we're trying to make. Definitely,
1: yeah. And I know you mentioned equity and justice. From yeah. researching your company, Emily and I were particularly inspired by the environmental and social causes that we've supports. Mm-hmm. Um, what exactly
2: are those? Yeah, so, so for anyone who's not familiar, um, we are trying to kind of, uh, the, the sort of tagline that we have is a marketplace on the mission on a mission and um sort of trying to change what it means to be a business. And a big part of that to us is trying to introduce sort of a it, it's not completely new people they're there it's not completely novel, but this idea of sort of a business that is run like a nonprofit in that everything that um you know, that we're making through the company that we're leveraging, um, through these economic forces that we're putting into advancing our mission. So some of that is, you know, paying employees, running the business and whatnot, but then excess revenue, um, putting that into, um, environmental justice initiatives. And so the way that we think we can do that. So unfortunately, uh, not to get too much into the like legal structure, but, and we've, uh you know selling products, conducting this much business kind of disqualifies it from being a traditional nonprofit If we could just be a non nonprofit that would be awesome and we would do that um but instead, what we're doing is we're establishing and, and we're still in the process of this, but establishing a nonprofit that owns Enweave. so that Enweave is kind of held to the mission of the nonprofit um, as opposed to being um you know, uh, to as opposed to being, um, you know, held to its investors or stakeholders that were kind of, you know, it's kind of a step beho- uh, beyond mission driven and in sort of like mission obligated, uh, which is not exactly a sparky like uh, marketing. Um, but but anyway, all of that is to say, so so we will be owned by this nonprofit, and it is going to focus specifically on environmental injustices um, and trying to uh work towards creating more equitable outcomes for people who have lived in communities, especially, you know, it's no secret that air pollution and um and toxic waste facilities are much, much higher um in communities of color and communities of low income. And uh e-commerce actually plays kind of a big role in that in that um, you know, lots of times a big corporate, uh, you know, e-commerce, you probably know who I'm talking about, but just in case I won't say it, um, will put their factories um, in low-income communities um, under the guise of it being, oh, economic uh, opportunity and we're providing jobs and whatnot. But one, we know these jobs aren't particularly good jobs. They don't pay well. the uh, workers don't have much right, many rights. Um, but also on top of that, then the trucks coming in and out, um, bringing these goods from the fulfillment center to and from the fulfillment center is creating even more um, toxic air pollution in places that are already experiencing it, that are already having higher rates of COVID because of it, all of these sorts of inequities. So we really want to, we're, we're trying to right now, um, build build our nonprofit and form a coalition that could work on that um problem in particular um but also you know we're we're open you know so much of this is about it's really easy for me um to say like oh i think this is the solution to this problem um but uh obviously the the more important part is, is really listening to people in these communities finding um the really grassroots activist organizations that are doing this work, figuring out um, what solutions would help their communities, and then using using our um, you know economic impact uh, or economic um, power to to invest in those communities and invest in those projects. So that is still you know uh, there's not a lot uh, solidified. What we do for sure do right now is we. Um, offset our carbon emissions through um, sort of gold standard or what it it is called the gold standard and it's sort of the highest level of certified carbon offset projects. And we also um, are working towards, we got to, we're a very small business with uh, not much income yet, but eventually we'll be removing uh, two pounds of plastic for every order once we can kind of pay the membership fee for um, Repurpose uh, is the name they and they do a lot of like equity based um, recycling and plastic reduction um, projects. So, so that's what we do right now. But we know that throwing money at the problem is not, uh, you know, that's a temporary solution. If you can even call it a solution, Throw, throwing, you know, putting money is a step um, into these efforts. But that's why we want to form our nonprofit and really like. Um, you know, be active participants in uh, these solutions and be active participants in figuring out how can we prevent e-commerce from from really taking advantage of environmental justice communities. Yeah. Right. So
1: what is your long-term vision for Enweave then?
2: Yes, um, so I think you know it kind of goes back it's it's looking at justice a little bit in in the opposite direction of focusing or, or not focusing, but also including sort of the the customer perspective and the accessibility and affordability that we've talked about but um so the name and weave comes from the idea of like weaving environmentalism into the everyday, and I think um, people so often care about the environment, but they've got more pressing issues, whether it's paying rent, whether it's trying to operate a business, whether it's trying to, you know, demonstrate the Black Lives Matter, whatever it might be, people have a lot more, you know, climate change is a huge issue, no doubt, but they have more pressing, more immediate issues. And so we want to be a hub um, where people can easily go and find ways that that those environmental solutions can easily be woven into the things that they're doing every day so that starts with e-commerce primarily because it's pretty easy to start up a business that way and you know I didn't you know we just did a like little modest indieGogo campaign we didn't have any funding or anything like that and are aiming not not to have people invest in us because that kind of defeats the whole purpose so uh, E-commerce is a good, easy place to start, but what we want to be in the future is not just a green Amazon, not just um, a sustainable place to shop, but a place that that takes um, more of these aspects of of sustainability, whether it's shopping at your farmer's market, whether it's uh, using public transport and trying to subsidize public transport passes so they're cheaper for people. Um, We want to kind of be a go-to interactive place where people can um, not only find the environmental solutions that they're looking for, but actually participate in them. Because I think what you see is there's lots of places that are selling green products. There are lots of places that are trying to connect to businesses that are doing well, but there's no one really that is focusing that's like really laser focused on this affordability and accessibility issue and and finding a way to make this easy and affordable for people. Um, and so that's how we kind of want to separate ourselves and how we see ourselves advancing in the future. Um, yeah.
1: And if people wanted to learn more about and we've, where could they go?
2: Um, yeah, so nwe.org, E-N-W-E-A-V-E.org um, is our website. And you can learn more about, you know, our equity initiatives, kind of our business model, um, all of those sorts of things. And, of course, um, get the green goods that you're looking for at, um, at wholesale prices, much cheaper than, than anywhere else. Uh, but then also we're, we're on Facebook, uh, Instagram. We have a YouTube that we're not particularly active on yet, and same with Twitter. Um, But yeah, definitely our website, and andweave.org and Instagram are probably the two best places to find us right now.
1: Great. Well, Jacob, thank you so much for talking with us. I think we've talked about some really important things today.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you all for joining us today on the Common Cause for Sustainability podcast.